the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. We don't recognize it as the mercy of God because sometimes it's unpleasant. Sometimes at the moment it's uncomfortable. Sometimes at the moment it's inconvenient. But perhaps God has brought it along in order to reorder our steps in a big way or a small way. Now, I don't mean to make light of this at all, and I don't mean to trivialize the little things in life, but I really sometimes believe that those things that we dismiss as inconvenient things could actually be God's way of intervening in a merciful way to redirect our steps, even if it's just for the day, or maybe it's for our lives. Do you ever think that God can't extend mercy to you because of something you've done? The Bible says that God loves everyone and He gives mercy to everyone. God doesn't give mercy to some people and withhold it from others. God's mercy is unlimited. In today's message, Pastor Gary will remind you that everyone is in need of God's mercy. Don't let yourself be blind to God's mercy by desiring it for yourself, but thinking that other people don't deserve it. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Jonah as he continues his message, The Mercy of God. see four things about God's mercy from the book of Jonah today. And so in chapter one here, even though Jonah disobeys God initially, we see God's mercy extended towards the Ninevites in the way that he calls Jonah to go preach to the Ninevites in hopes that they might turn, repent from their sins and turn to God. Now, who were the Ninevites? So for those of you taking notes, the Ninevites were Assyrians. They were ancient Assyrians. They were called Ninevites because they lived in the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. It was situated along the east bank of the Tigris River. The the ruins of Nineveh are still there today, just on the outskirts of Mosul, Iraq. So that's where this story takes place here. At least that's where the heart of God is directed, towards the Ninevites, They are Assyrians. They occupy the capital city of Nineveh, which is, again, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. But being Assyrians, they were a ruthless, godless people. I've referred to the Assyrians before in our journey through the Old Testament, but for those of you who are unfamiliar with them, the Assyrians were notorious for their savage brutality with regard to wartime practices. When they would conquer a city... They would impale people on stakes. They would rape the women. 
burn the children, chop off hands, cut off heads, rip out tongues, flay people while alive, mutilate the dead, pillage and then burn the city. And the prisoners of war that they would take, they would string together like fish with hooks through their jaws or their noses, string them together, drag them uh, off to Assyria and take them as prisoners of war. They are a ruthless, barbaric, savage people. And yet God says to Jonah, I want you to go preach the good news to them in hopes that they might turn from their evil ways and turn to me. These people, God says to Jonah, are worth saving. It's very challenging. God extends his mercy to the worst of worst, like even the ruthless Assyrians. But this is God's way. Ezekiel 33, 11 says, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. God longs to be merciful to every person on the planet. And so number one, God's mercy is undeserved. I mean, do you think these people really deserve it by the way that they lived and the practices that they engaged in? And the truth is, maybe you haven't done some of the stuff that they've done. I hope that you haven't cut anybody's tongue out. I hope that you haven't chopped off anybody's hands or filleted them while still alive. But the fact of the matter is that all of us are in equal need of God's mercy. All of us. This is the reason why Paul describes himself in 1 Timothy 1 verse 15 as the worst of all sinners. In that verse, he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, New King James says. NIV says, of whom I am the worst. Now, Paul didn't look around at other people and compare himself to others. He looked to God and realized that between himself and God, the way that he measured himself was looking at God and his perfect, perfection and holiness and righteousness. And he realized in comparison to God, I'm the worst of all sinners. He didn't care about other people in the room because that's not the basis. That's not the standard by which we will be judged. Paul looked at himself in light of who God is. And he says, I'm the worst of all sinners. I'm the worst of all sinners. All of us should be willing to say such a thing and stop playing the comparison game and Think of ourselves more favorably or less favorably based on the comparison of other people around us. There's only one standard by which we will be judged. When Paul looked at his life in comparison to God, he says, you know what? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. But yet he adds in the next verse in 1 Timothy 1.16, however, for this reason, I was shown mercy. See, he realized I'm the greatest sinner of all because I'm not looking at what other people have done. It's just me and the Lord. But in that, in that perspective of who I am in relation to God, I see myself as the worst of sinners, and yet I'm also the one who's going to receive his great mercy because that's the character and nature of God. God extends mercy to all because God wants all to be saved. And all of his mercy is undeserved. None of us deserve it. The Ninevites certainly didn't deserve it. But God in his mercy extends it. Now, unfortunately... Jonah didn't think that the Ninevites were worth saving, which means that he thought of himself as a higher authority than God. He thought he was a better judge of the Ninevites than God was. And so he disobeys 
God's calling. God says, I want you to go preach to the Ninevites. And Jonah's like, uh-uh, I ain't going there. Those Ninevite people are not worth saving. I'm not going to go preach to them. And so he disobeys the call of God, and he boards a boat in the port city of Joppa. He's living in Israel. Joppa's a port city on the Mediterranean. It's called Jaffa today. He goes down to Joppa, gets on a boat, heading to, the Bible says, Tarshish. Now, Herodotus, the 5th century B.C. historian, says that Tarshish was Spain. Jonah's supposed to go east to Nineveh. This is Iraq. Okay, he's living in Israel, supposed to go east. He decides to get in a boat and go west. That's how far he's trying to go to Spain, which is at that time the farthest part part of the known world as far as you can go west. And so he's trying to run from God. I'm not going to go to preach to the Ninevites. Are you you crazy, God? I'm not going to go do that. And so he runs. And God could have chosen to put an end to Jonah's life right there. Gets in a boat. I'm, I'm going to leave. I'm disobeying God. And in his arrogance and insolence against God and disobedience, God could have chosen right there enough of you. But God chose to spare Jonah's life. And more than that, God chose to give Jonah a second chance. How many of you are thankful for the many chances God gives us? Amen? Amen? And so when the storm rages at sea, these pagan sailors... They start crying out to their pagan gods. So that, that's to no avail. So then Jonah's asleep in, in the hull of the boat. So they wake him up. Jonah, you know, you need to pray to your God. And Jonah's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. About the storm. Um, I'm, I'm kind of the cause. Like, what, what do you mean you're the cause? Well, I, I'm, I'm running from God. You know, I'm a Hebrew. I, I fear God. And, and he sent me on this mission. And I'm, I'm running from I'm the cause of the storm. What you need to do is throw me overboard and the storm will subside. Now, Jonah knows this. He knows the storm is raging because God is trying to get Jonah's attention. And Jonah realizes that these other guys are, they're going to get caught in the storm because of my sin. Just throw me overboard. It'll go well with you. Now, I want you to notice something from chapter one that it tells us. It says that these sailors with good intention try to row back to land to drop Jonah off. Did you see that in chapter one? Because he says, just throw me overboard. They're like, no, we can't do that kind of a thing. That's not a nice thing. That's a cruel thing to do. So we're going to try to row you back to land. And the Bible says the harder they try to row, the more tempestuous the storm becomes. Why? Because they're interfering with what God wants to do. I want you to hear me on this. This is just a side note. It has nothing to do with the topic of our theme here. But sometimes with good intentions, we try to rescue people that in fact, we need to let God deal with. Because we make matters worse. It's with good heart. A lot of people try to intervene. Let me just try to rescue somebody. Let me just try to help somebody. You know, sometimes helping someone is actually hurting someone. We have good intentions of helping them. But if we're interfering with God dealing with them, we're doing them more harm than good by trying to help them. What we need to do is take our hands off and let God deal with them. Somebody needs to hear that today. That's a side note. When the storm continues to increase, the sailors realize, all right, we just need to throw the chap overboard. And they pray to God first, like, Lord, forgive us for what we're about to do. They throw him overboard. And when that happens, um, instead of letting Jonah drown in the Mediterranean, 
God provides a great fish to swallow him up. And that's how chapter 1 ends. Verse 17, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Please note, God's mercy sometimes comes in different forms. And as miserable and unpleasant at the time, I'm sure it was, to be in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights, that fish was God's mercy for Jonah. That fish was God's mercy for Jonah. Number two, God's mercy is unexpected. God's mercy is unexpected. Sometimes we can't see the mercy of God because it comes in forms that we weren't expecting. And so we dismiss it. We don't really see it as the mercy of God. We don't recognize it as the mercy of God because sometimes it's unpleasant. Sometimes at the moment, it's uncomfortable. Sometimes at the moment, it's inconvenient. But perhaps God has brought it along in order to reorder our steps in a big way or a small way. Now, I don't mean to make light of this at all, and I don't mean to trivialize the little things in life, but I really sometimes believe that those things that we dismiss as inconvenient things could actually be God's way of intervening in a merciful way to redirect our steps, even if it's just for the day, or maybe it's for our lives. You know, that flat tire may have just actually spared you from a bigger car accident down the road. The, the missed flight, uh, the, the relationship that, that broke up, the, the job that you lost. We can always interpret those things as being inconvenient, and no doubt they are. And we can look at those things and we can think to ourselves, you know, th- that's sad, and no doubt those things can be sad. But in fact, God may be using those things to rescue us in different ways. And we just don't see it at the moment. I don't know how much Jonah realized that that great fish was actually sent as a life preserver for him. At some point he realizes it because in the middle of being in the belly of that fish in chapter 2, he says in verses 7 and 8, if you look at chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, he says, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. And he says in verse 8, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. God wants to be merciful to us. Jonah was given mercy that he didn't deserve. But Jonah admits that if we cling to worthless things that take the place of God, we could end up forsaking that mercy. And so chapter 2 ends by telling us at the end of chapter 2, verse 10, so the Lord spoke to the fish and had vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, I, I, I like that verse, and I'm going to tell you why. Because it doesn't tell us how far away the great fish was from land when God caused it to vomit up Jonah. So I like to think of it as a projectile vomiting moment. Could it have been like a mile offshore? Wouldn't that have been awesome? Just <laughs> Nevertheless, he lands and chapter three. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. And then he cried out and said, this is the sum total of his message in Nineveh. Eight words. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's the whole record of his sermon. Verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, 
and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? And then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. It takes Jonah three days to walk around the city because it's that large. And he goes around preaching those eight words. That's it. Those eight words. That's That's the whole record of his sermon. But it was enough. And people began to turn to God. They repented. The king issues this proclamation. Everybody needs to fast. We need to repent. We need to turn to the Lord. And once again, we see God's mercy because that's how the chapter ends in verse 10, that he did not bring the disaster upon them that he had intended. Number three, God's mercy is unbiased. These are ruthless, barbaric people that God has compassion for. He doesn't discriminate with his mercy. He doesn't dispense it for some and withhold it from others. He is unbiased in his mercy. God is no respecter of persons. He loves all, he died for all, and he extends his mercy to all, even the Assyrian people. Now, you would think that this should be the end of the story. God calls a prophet to preach to some evil people. The prophet resisted. God gave him another chance. The prophet went, preached to the people, the people repented, and God had mercy on them. End of story. But that's not where it ends. God has a sense of humor. He's like, Jonah, I want you to put that fourth chapter in there about you. About that time that you got angry that I was so merciful to the Ninevites. I want you to write all that down too. And so we have chapter 4. Look at chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he became angry. And so he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was... Maybe i got to put on my whiny voice. Ah, Lord, was this not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Now, you know what's so tragic about this? What's so tragic about what he's saying here is, I'd rather die than for you to show mercy to people that I don't think deserve it. Ouch. Think about that. We have to be careful that we are not blind to the mercy of God. And here's how we're blind to the mercy of God. When we want mercy for ourselves, but not for others. This is Jonah. And God says, I want you to write that part down so everybody can learn from you, Jonah. Remember that time you were angry? You were all sullen because I was merciful to the Ninevites, people you thought I should not be merciful to? Verse 4 of chapter 4, then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? And so Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. 
And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. And so Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Isn't that nice? God's being so merciful, giving him shade. Jonah likes it. But verse 7, as morning dawned, the next day God prepared a worm, and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. This is the death wish number two. Verse 9, then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. Death wish number three. I mean, at this point, if you don't see God's mercy in this story, man, you need some glasses because at this point, three times, Jonah's like, I just want to die. I mean, it's a wonder God just didn't, okay. (laughs) But he's so merciful. So he says in verse 10, you have had pity on the plant for which you had not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh? that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock. By the way, that last part there, about 120,000 people who can't discern their right hand from their left, most Bible scholars believe that's a reference to children. It's 120,000 children. God says to Jonah, do you not think I should have mercy at least? Because there's 120,000 kids in that city. They can't distinguish their right hand from their left. God is trying to teach Jonah something by the fact that he gives this plant a shade and then removes the shade. He's saying, Jonah, mercy is my prerogative. And I extend it to whomever I wish. Because I'm unbiased in my love for all. Because all need my mercy, including you, Jonah. And even God in his patience with Jonah didn't smite him for his arrogance and for Jonah's prejudice. I mean, Jonah was being prejudiced towards the Ninevite people, towards the Assyrians. We can have understanding. We don't, we don't condone it, but we can at least understand. Where's, where's Jonah coming from? The Assyrians had slaughtered and butchered his own people. Okay? But Jonah, you can't be prejudiced because God is merciful to all including you. None of us deserves it, but God extends it to all of us because God's mercy, last point number four, is unlimited. In Psalm 118, verse 29, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. There is never a moment in your life when you come to the Lord that he stops being merciful to you. God's mercy is limitless. That's why Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is a great book to remind us of God's limitless mercy for us. His unbiased, undeserved, unexpected, unlimited mercy. There's a fresh dose of it for you today. For some of you, you're carrying a weight, some shame, some guilt, something in your past, something in your life, recently or distantly. And you're wondering, is God really merciful? Can He forgive me? Yes. 
and amen, because all through the book of Jonah, God displays his mercy to the prophet himself and to a people who otherwise were undeserving, but so are we all undeserving, and God is still rich in mercy toward us. You've been listening to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been teaching through the last several books of the Old Testament, also known as the Minor Prophets. These short books are powerful and reveal so much about your Creator and His love for the world. If you have any questions or would like to share a prayer request with us, please contact us. You can reach us by calling 703-771-1500. Again, that number is 703-771-1500. You can also listen to more teachings in this series by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, or just download our mobile app. That way you'll have biblical messages available to listen to whenever you want, wherever you are. Pastor Gary also has a companion resource available for this Minor Prophets series. You'll find it under the Teachings tab at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd love to meet you, too. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online, and you can find out more on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Study the Minor Prophets. And we hope you'll join us again right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know